His name is Michael Micah Borns. He was at a life conference a few years ago and was at our annual council this year. When I hear a guy like that, I want to say every once in a while, I wish I could do that. I wish I could speak that eloquently. I wish I could put words together like that. I wish I could communicate in such a way that it would ignite fire and passion and people would want to respond. I wish I could express some of the things that I feel in those kinds of words. I don't know if you're like me, but every once in a while, I know what I'm thinking. I know what I'm feeling. I know what I want to say to God, but I'm not always sure how to put it into words. And when that happens, to be really honest with you, I go to the Psalms. I go to someone like that who had the ability to take love and passion and frustration and peace and somehow captured in words to express to God how he felt. And when I don't know what to say or I don't know how to pray or I don't know to express or how to express my feelings, I find myself gravitating to the Psalms and expressing what he did. I mean, you know I love sunsets. I like sunrises too, but I don't get up early enough. God wanted me to see them. My wife and I both said then he should have put them in a little later in the day. (laughs) But I love sunsets, and every once in a while on my property, I've got a chair in the top, and no matter what time of the day it is, and and I hurry up and stop if I'm home at all, and I I just watch the sunset, and I watch it go down, and, and I want to say to God, this is amazing, and I find myself saying, this is amazing. This is really beautiful. And then I imagine what it's like for David to have seen the same thing 4,000 years ago. i got to believe he would have said it like this. Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory in the heavens. When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You've made them a little lower than the angels. You've crowned them with glory and honor. you made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all the flocks and herds and animals of the wild, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, that swim all the paths of the sea. Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name. Now, I've got to be honest with you. That's a little bit better than, that's beautiful. (laughs) When I pray... And pray and pray, and I don't see the answers. And I find myself, even in my capacity, wanting to make sure he heard, or let me be really honest with you, wondering if he heard. I find myself going to the Psalms. How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? Look on me and answer me, Lord. Give light to my eyes. I want to sleep in death. My enemy will say, I've overcome in all the foes. I will rejoice when I fall, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. And so I will sing the Lord's praise. But when I look at life, you've been really good to me. When I feel like I've lost my way, and every once in a while, it happens, I find myself going to the Psalms. Psalm 42, as the deer pants for streams of water, my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go to meet you? 
My tears have been my food day and night. People are saying, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul to you, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among festive throngs. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I remember you. Deep calls to deep, the roar of your waterfalls, all the waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love, at night his song is with me, a prayer to God of my rock. I say to God, my rock, have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony. Thy, my foes taunt me, saying again, where is your God? Why so are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, and I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. What I love about David's writings is that he starts here, goes to the depths of his soul and expresses every emotion he can feel, and then he brings it back up and said, and I trust you. I want to be really honest with you, God. This is how I feel. I, I know you're there. I know you love me. I know you understand. I know you're always with me. I, I understand all of that, but right now, I want you to know how I feel. And right now, to be really honest with you, I'm not sure where you're at. And then almost as if he looks inside and says, okay, you know better than this. You know where he's at. You've seen what he's done. You know what he does. You know what he'll do. So begin to look back up and remember. One of the favorite psalms that probably all of us at some point or the other in our journey have memorized is which one? Psalm 23. Shared it on a number of occasions, almost every time I do a funeral, I read this psalm at some point or the other. At some point or the other, we all go through difficult times. And somehow David has the ability to bring us back to center. To not let us go too far right or left, not get us into too much despair or too much despondency or too much complaining. And, and not so exhilarated that we forget that we're dealing with life and its uncertainties. And David has the ability to kind of bring us back to center. He says things like this. The Lord is my shepherd. I'm good. The Lord is my shepherd. I don't need anything else. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Let's read it together. Remember the old days when you all did that in church when you were growing up? Let's do it. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, if you memorize that psalm, you memorized it in King James, like I did. And even when I read it in NIV or the message, I read it in half a dozen different versions this week, I still come back to the King James Version. The Lord is my shepherd, what? I shall not want. I do love the way he says it here, though. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I'm good. 
I lack nothing. I don't need anything else. Now, if we're really honest, it's much easier to quote that than to live it. I mean, we all went through Thanksgiving, right? Had a great time of gathering together with family and friends. Probably ate more food in one day than most people eat in a week. And then when you were getting done with the food, you watched the game. And then about 5 o'clock, you said, hey, anybody want something to eat? And we did. And about 8 o'clock that night, you got just a little bit more. And somehow we just stopped a little bit more. Got up the next day after a huge meal and said, all right, I want breakfast. I love the fact that David says, look, I I get all of that, but I, I have come to one great conclusion in life. If God is my shepherd, I'm good. I don't need anything else. But if we're really honest, that's much easier to quote than to live. I got sermon notes in your bulletin this morning. There's no way on the planet that you can finish a series on David without going to the Psalms. And so when I knew I was doing this series a number of months ago and Old Testament characters and then kind of felt we were going to spend some time with David and finish up our series with David next Sunday morning, start a Christmas series. I thought you've got to spend some time in the Psalms because he expresses himself with more passion and intensity than almost anyone I know. And so when I'm lacking for words or lacking for emotions, I spend some time in the Psalms. Like David, at one point in my life a few years ago, everything was going perfect and well. I had a great wife, a great life, a great team, and a great church. But deep down inside, there was something that I couldn't put a handle on. Emotionally and in my head, I just couldn't wrap my mind around it. And I find myself and found myself constantly going back to the Psalms and some of the ones that I read to you this morning coming out the other side. When I read this one, I I often picture what I think it was like. You kind of imagine every time you read this, he provides for me green grass and still water. So here's David the shepherd remembering what it was like when he was a shepherd. And he took the sheep to an oasis. And he kind of sat under a tree somewhere at that oasis watching the sheep graze in front of him, looking at that stream of water that they have come through or that oasis or that lake that they came to and all the trees and the green grass in front of him. And he began to write, I've got a good one. Boy, God, I got a great one. The Lord is my shepherd. Like these, I am their shepherd and, and I provided green grass and still waters and you've done the same. But some theologians believe that David didn't write this in that setting. Some theologians believe that David wrote this at a really difficult time in his life. Possibly one of the times when he was running from Saul in a wilderness experience, trying to get away, trying to find some refuge, finding himself in a cave with his men and sharing his thoughts. One commentator thinks it was when his life fell apart and he was running from one of his sons. A number of weeks ago as we began this series, Bob Thomas talked about David and Bathsheba. The result of that decision that David made and the result of that sin impacted his family for the rest of his life. We talk again about the consequences of decisions that sometimes are in the heat of a moment, not always looking at the long-term effect of that. In David's case, he stands as an incredible model of forgiveness and grace, as Nathan pointed that out in the repentance that he came with, but a recognition that that one decision affected Bathsheba, Uriah, the child, and his family for the rest of his life. 
When his world got turned upside down, one of his sons tried to take over Absalom. And some say it was possibly, possibly written during that time. So indeed, if we take it from that vantage point, if it really was written from that vantage point, not while David was a shepherd sitting under a tree somewhere looking out in front of him, how did he do that? And more importantly, how can I do that? In your notes, I had this phrase, David was able to, in an incredible way, to look at his circumstance and situation from a spiritual perspective, not from the practical one in front of him. And when he did, he saw a number of things about what God does. One is, in our wilderness, God is committed to taking care of us. In our wilderness, wilderness is a difficult time in your life. If you're not there now, you may have been. If you're not there and haven't been, you probably will be. At some point, forever in life, we'll all come to one of those moments. And David realized that in those moments, God is committed to taking care of us. David talks about the two basic needs of life, grass to eat and water to drink. But what I love about this, he points to something greater than just simply the practical aspects of life. Something greater than just simply what I have in front of me, the food to eat, the, the, the water to drink. I, I, I thirst and I'm hungry and I get all of that. But Lord, I recognize that I'll never be satisfied in those things. And I realize that what I really need is not just those things. What I really need is you. I appreciate the fact that in my wilderness experience, whenever that may be or whatever it looks like, you take care of me and you remind me of the practical times, but what I really need is you. I've walked through the valley of the shadow of death with hundreds of people down through the years. And their friends and their family will gather together around them and they'll bring food. So much food sometimes they can't contain it. So much food sometimes they don't know what to do with it and so many things. And, and all of those things are incredible. And that's what you love about family or a small group or a church family or whatever. When you're walking through that valley, they provide for you. But to be honest with you, the food will run out, the drinks will run dry. And what they really need the most is the Lord. And David said, I, I, get, I, I recognize that. I appreciate what you provide, the daily aspects of my life. But when I really look at life, what I realize I know I need, I need you. And if I have you, I'm good. I lack nothing. David may have been in a palace, may have been in a wilderness, probably in a desert. But what I love about this is, as he reflects, he sees something that maybe you and I don't always see in the wilderness. And that is that God could transform the wilderness into green pastures. He knew that if he could focus on God, he would get a better perspective. Remember that old hymn, that the things of earth would grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. When I realize and, and, and recognize and hone in on him, everything else kind of fades away and all the issues that I'm dealing with kind of takes perspective as I realize that in the light of all of that, what I really need is him. David realized that his situation didn't have to be controlled by the rocks in the desert, but by God. He realized that his circumstances didn't have to control how he felt. I've seen people, and I'm sure you have as well, in the best of circumstances, but if they're really honest, you'd never know it by the way they complain. And I've seen people in the worst of circumstances going through the deepest valleys. And unless they told me, I wouldn't know it by their attitude. 
the Apostle Paul in prison, in jail, in a dungeon, writes to the Philippians and says, cheer up. Guy's in jail. The guy's in a dungeon, in a rotten, filthy dungeon, having no idea if he's going to get out, looks at the Philippians who are on the other side and tells them to cheer up. That's a guy who has perspective. That's a guy who understands. David, a man after God's own heart, is able in the most of the difficult problems of life to focus on God. And when he does, I see green pastures and still waters, even though in the middle of the wilderness. Because the wilderness can shape us, doesn't have to change us. Some of the most greatest lessons we learn in life are honestly in some of the most difficult times, but it's only when we focus on God. For in the wilderness, in your sermon notes, we learn how to be grateful and we learn how to be humble. It's in those moments that we really learn what's really important. We learn to be satisfied with what He provides, and it's sufficient. Secondly, David realized that in my failure, God is committed to restoring us. And more than just picking us up, he's able to get us back on track again. I love the fact that in verse 3, he says he restores my soul. Not just my physical well-being, not just my hands or my feet or my issues or my pain or whatever it is I'm going through or provides for my stomach. He restores my soul. Deep down in who I am. He's able to take that and put light back into it again. Maybe hungry, maybe thirsty, but it's a whole lot more than that. It's really who I am deep down inside. And I love the fact that God doesn't just concentrate on the externals. He concentrates even more so on the internals, and he restores my soul. David goes on to say, he not only restores my soul, he continues to lead me. He continues to walk with me. Satan says every time we sin, we feel like it's too late. He'll say things like, God can't forgive that. You might as well give up. You've done that before. You're never going to get stacked back on track. You're never going to follow God. You're never going to stay consistent in your spiritual life. God knows no sin he can't forgive and no sinner he can't restore. There's nothing that the blood of Jesus Christ doesn't cover. I love how David said he puts me on passive righteousness Gets me back on track for his name's sake. Do you realize that in your life and mine, God puts his character on the line when we claim to be followers of Christ? That God puts his character on the line. Every time you and I mess up, God wants to get us back on track. Not always because we're so wonderful, but because his character many times is evaluated by those who observe how we live and how we respond to life. How many times have you heard people say, if that's a Christian, I don't want any of it. That's a Christian? That's what a follower of Christ is like? I don't know if I want that. David is vastly different than Saul on a number of occasions. They both committed sins. David committed even bigger sins than Saul. The problem with Saul is he wallowed in his sin and stayed there. David repented and was restored. Judas and Peter both deeply disappointed Christ. Judas saw no hope and ended his life. Peter repented and sought restoration and became one of the greatest spokesmen for the church in the New Testament. Difference isn't the sins. The difference is their response to the sin. Third thing David noticed about God in my fear, he's committed to protect me by his faithfulness. Even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not worried. 
I know he's there with me. Jesus made a promise. I'll never leave you or forsake you. I need to know that in the valley. I'm glad I know that when things are going well, but I really need to know that in the valley. And I need to know that it's more than a verse that I memorized somewhere when I was a little child. Because now is when I'm going through the valley of the shadow of death. I love the fact that he reminds me, even there at the deepest, darkest valley of your life, I'm right there. Not watching you at a distance, hoping you figure it out, but I'm right there with you. I get down in the muck and the mire and I walk with you through it. I'll never leave you, ever. He said, I love the fact that your staff and your rod comfort me. And that may seem odd because sometimes we think the, the rod is there to hit the sheep on the head when they mess up. I run into Christians all the time who think God is just waiting for us to mess up and then bam. Rod isn't for the sheep, it's for the enemies of the sheep. The bear and the lion, the things that attack. I love the fact that I know that no matter what's coming at me, God, you're there to protect me. And you're there to watch over me. The staff, it directs the sheep. Pulls them out of ravines, it disciplines them, keeps them on the path. But I love the fact that that you're not out to get me, you want the best for me. And so you provide a rock, uh, the rod to protect me from my enemies and a staff to lead me in the right direction. Be honest with you, God, number four, you provide more than I can hold. I don't know always what to do with everything you do for me. I, I just feel like my cup's overflowing. Now, I'm sure you felt that on Thursday because that was a day we stopped and paused and reflected and told God how grateful we were. But I got to believe that for most of us in the room, if not all of us in the room, on Friday you were still as blessed. And on Saturday you were still as blessed. You may have gone through deep valleys and you may have gone through difficult circumstances, but for the most part we're still blessed. And if we're really honest about how blessed we are, we find ourselves saying, I don't know that I can hold all of this. It just keeps flowing and flowing and flowing. You give me more than I can possibly contain. In a few moments, we're going to celebrate communion. We're going to hold those elements in our hand, and they remind us of what Jesus did for us on the cross. They're really simple. Small piece of bread and a cup of grape juice, but they have incredibly profound meaning. And as you hold them, you recognize God, you gave your life for me. This is unbelievable. You loved the world, and I appreciate that fact, but you loved me. And you gave your life for me? I I don't know if I could even process that. And then you tell me that you forgive all my sins. That's just unheard of. You mean I get to start all over again? You wipe the slate clean? And you offer me life and repentance and restoration and forgiveness and grace. You offer me access to the God of the universe. I can't, oh, I can't believe that. You offer me friends in the family of God. God is just too much. And then the final thing and the final piece here, you offer me heaven too? You're kidding me. You offer me grace and forgiveness and life relationships, access to the Father in heaven, and you offer me heaven, God, that is way too much for me to hold. I love how Paul says he does abundantly more than we could ask or imagine. No mind can conceive, no eye has ever seen what God has provided for those who love him. Which is the last piece that God provides for our present and our future. That we have a promise that we're going to spend all eternity with Jesus. Now the only way in is Christ. The only requirement to take communion here at Community Alliance Church is Jesus. 
And not just knowing that he exists out there, but I've come to a point in my spiritual journey where I've received Christ as my Savior. I recognize I'm a sinner. If you don't know that you are, ask your neighbor. They'd be happy to tell you that you are. And I need a Savior. And no matter what the world tells you, there's only one, and it's Jesus. And he offered himself on the cross for you and I. And when I come to a point of recognizing my sin and inviting Christ and recognizing that he's the Savior and I invite him into my life and I turn my life over to him, that's the process or the beginning part of salvation. And that gives me access to all of this and allows me and the family of God to share this together. But the other beauty of that, it gives me access to glory. The only way into heaven is not because I've been a good person or I've gone to church or gone to a great church or sang in a choir or served communion or gave tithes and offerings. The only access into heaven is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And when I know that, no matter what happens in this world and no matter how I leave and when I leave and the way I leave, I go directly to heaven. Not because of anything I have done, but because he offers grace and I've received it and I've invited him into my life. When it's all said and done, he welcomes me home. Man. I wonder, David says, I'm full. Man, my cuff's running over. This is unreal. In communion, we reflect on what God offers us through Christ. Everything we need, more than bread and water, He offers us everything. He restores us. He provides for us. We have so much to be thankful for, and we reflect on that. And then he offers us everything else. I'm a Steeler fan, but don't deny it. Love watching them, joy, being there, cheering them on and all of that. Don't tell anybody. But I also happen to like the Green Bay Packers. I know. Don't tell anyone that. There's a lot of reasons. I, I loved watching Brett Favre play, and I loved to watch Bart Starr. I mean, just there's nothing like those old days. But to be really honest with you, the reason I like them is their colors. You know what they are? Green and gold. They're John Deere. <laughs> I grew up loving John Deere tractors, so who wouldn't love the Packers because of all that? So the other night I was watching the game, and I thought it was going to be a lot of fun because I knew they were going to retire his jersey and all of that. And So I watched the beginning and all the accolades that went with it. And then I saw him come out of the tunnel and I heard the announcer say, Brett Favre, welcome home. The place went nuts. It it was electric. Everybody cheering and singing and selling, regardless of all the other stuff and the stuff that he did and not knowing when to retire and all the dumb things that went with that. And I said to my elders, look, don't ever let me be Brett Favre. You tell me when it's time for me to go and I'll go. But I I, I sat there watching all of that and hearing that welcome home. And then immediately my mind left that arena and that auditorium. And imagine what it was like to walk into the streets of glory. And the God of the universe, not some announcer, not somebody I didn't know, but the God of the universe said, welcome home. You're home. And angels began to cheer. The moment you invited Christ into your life, all of heaven rejoiced. All of heaven rejoiced. When you came to faith in Jesus, the angels sang your praises. Your children don't always do that. Your mate doesn't always do that. But the angels in heaven sang your praises. And they were thrilled that you invited Christ into your life. Because they knew what that meant for now and in the future. 
And there was going to come a day we're going to leave this world. And when we do, we're going to be ushered into the presence of Almighty God. And God himself, through his son Jesus Christ, is going to stand there and say, Welcome home. And the place is going to go wild. And so no matter what I've seen and what I've experienced and what I saw the other night, it paled in comparison to what God has provided for us in his son Jesus Christ. And when that day comes and he welcomes us home, it'll be way more than you can possibly hold. So, God is my shepherd. I'm good. I don't need anything else. I lack nothing. Because he offers it all and then. We're going to share communion. If you've never been here before, everything's in the same tray. So help your neighbor, help your friend. We're going to sing a breathtaking song here in a moment. And then that one we sung earlier, No One Higher, we're going to ask you to join us in that because it's just a great song we want to teach you. And then we're going to end in celebration. God, I thank you for what you provide. You're overwhelming. I, I, I can certainly see why David would have said, I, I can't hold anything else. So as we hold these elements and remind it of your grace, I trust that you will use them, speak to us, and allow us to speak to you as we reflect on who you are and what you've provided, our shepherd and our king. Gentlemen, would you come down and serve?